This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The classic sale is now completed with an increase of almost 20% in average and a very healthy clearance rate of 85%. The attention of yearling buyers now focuses on Melbourne for the English Premier Yearling Sale. In total, 784 lots have been catalogued, which will run over a revamped three-day format at the outstanding new Oaklands Junction precinct from March 1st to March 3rd. As part of an extraordinary run of success, which has seen 41 Group 1 winning graduates of English auctions since 2018, the reputation of the Premier sale continues to soar. It has produced 13 individual Group 1 winners since 2018, a tally bettered only by the Easter yearling sale among the major Australian sales. A strong 2020 catalogue contains progeny of 120 sires, including 35 first season sires. There is also a strong international flavour to the catalogue, with a cult by world champion Galileo, the only yearling progeny of this iconic stallion, to be catalogued for public auction in the Southern Hemisphere this year. Champion European stallion Frankel will have three yearlings in the sale. Action starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday, March the 1st. Catalogues are available at inglis.com.au. In the 12 years since Mark de Montfort quit the saddle for a training career, he has rarely had more than half a dozen horses in work. He once got to 20 when a syndicator needed a trainer in a hurry, but he didn't enjoy the role as much and he quickly reverted to lower numbers. Suffice to say, Mark rode better horses than he strained, but he has managed to extract a win or two from most of them that have passed through his hands. He quickly assesses a horse's ability, he takes it where it has the best chance of winning, and most of his owners trust his judgement. He had to battle weight problems for most of his riding career, but still managed to accumulate a tally of 1,200 winners with 13 at Group 1 level. He won iconic races like the Golden Slipper, the Doncaster and the AJC Derby. Mark was a sports freak as a schoolboy with special affection for football and cricket. Later in life, he took up golf and within a short space of time, he was playing off a handicap of three. When the time came to join the workforce, he was talked into trying his hand as an apprentice jockey. He started with the late Frank Penfold and he finished with the late Ray Guy. I had a long talk with Mark de Montfort in preparing this podcast and I was absolutely gobsmacked when he told me that he has turned 60 years of age. He's still riding track work at Warwick Farm because he loves to get a feel for every horse in the stable. Mark's online to talk to me on the podcast. If you're 60, I can't be too far off 103. It's gone quick, Tabby, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, goodness me. Mark, I can still see you sitting in the broadcast box with me at Rose Hill when you were an apprentice. Uh, there was one time there that I've never forgotten. You had a broken leg, you were on crutches, and you'd come and sit in the box and you'd pick out a top jockey in every race and watch every move they made. Do you recall those days? Yeah, a long time ago, Tappy. I, I first met you at Frank Penfold Stables back in, well, I was 15. 
Um, so it was a, two years later when I was sort of hobbling to the races, uh, yeah, to watch from the broadcasting box. I remember it well because it was very uncomfortable because I wore a caliper at the time. Mm. Um, and I had an, uh, a rod inserted in, into my femur and I wore the caliper for about three to six months the first time I broke my femur. So it was pretty mm. uncomfortable getting up those stairs of yours. Mm-hmm. But, Mark, you were a little brittle, weren't you? I mean, every time you took a tumble, you broke something. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was more me brittle that more the force of the uh, the horses, 500 kilos of horsepower landing mm. on me or kicking me or um, something like that because all through my football years, I never broke a bone mm. and obviously I was always the smallest guy on the footy field getting smashed, so... Um, if I was brittle, then I, I would have shown up. But um, yeah, the horses were a little bit stronger than the, the human ten-year-old footballers. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at your current situation. You've got five in work, which is your preferred number. You've got Eden yes. Vale. You've got a horse called Ready Set Sing, Chief Kidder. You've got a star witness filly who shin sore and has gone into the paddock. And also in the paddock is Cosmic Miss, of whom you've got a pretty good opinion and a two-year-old filly called Eel Flatonte, who won a trial before debuting at Canterbury recently. I had a look at the replay of that race, Mark. She never got on the track. She had a torrid run. Yeah, and and I, I sort of had figured out she won it like the soft track. Um, she's a bit of a speed horse, John, and um, on the track she showed good speed, and in her barrow trial she was quite impressive. Mm. Um but going into that race at Canterbury, you know, the rains had already come and the track was no good and I knew she wouldn't handle it. Um, she didn't mm. handle it at all. So um, she's uh, she's out uh, having a little break now and, uh, and a little buddy um, that went out uh, only a week or two earlier was the little three Cosmic Miss, which mm. I've got a nice opinion of. Um that's bred to run over a bit of distance and um, she's by Exosphere. So, she ran two races, uh, Saturday class and then six mm. both times and yeah. behind Celsa Bill, which is the early slipper favourite. But uh, on both occasions, my filly was back well last and ran home, ran home really good. So um, I'm mm. quite excited for when she comes back. Mm. That's cosmic miss. Now, yeah. these older horses, Mark, Eden Vale, Ready, Set, Sing, Chief Kidder, uh, they'll probably be placed out of town, I presume. Um. Pretty much. Oh, Chief Kidder, he runs in town every probably second or third start. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been placed in the city and runs over around, around that 2,000-metre distance. Um, I'm pretty confident he'll win one of those midweekers mm-hmm. in town. He's um, seconds and thirds religiously. So he'll crack one of them, I'm sure, but otherwise he'll just go back to the provincials. And um, Eden Vale, he's been placed in the city um, he'll only ever win in the city if he does one day. It'll be on a wet track, very heavy track. So oh. um, that's his chance. Yes. I'm not surprised you still like to ride them work because that's Mark de Montfort. Uh, you like to know how they're going. You just like to get a feel for them. And I presume you'll continue that practice as long as you're able. Um, yeah, I will, John. Uh, I love riding them um, as long as they're quiet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not into the rough riding anymore. Um, the horses I've got in my stable are quite quite easy for me to ride, and um, so I'll ride them as long as I can. I didn't realise till this year when I turned 60 that um, track riders slash trainers have to uh, go through a, an extra medical 
to make sure we're fit and proper to ride once we reach the age of 60. So well, my next medical's at 62, so I'll have to weigh it up when I turn 62 whether I want to go again. Yeah, we'll worry about it then. Yeah. Two years ago, your track work participation came to a grinding halt when you got a foot caught up coming out of the barrier at Warwick Farm in an educational jump out. You didn't realise at first that you'd broken it. No, I um, was one of the old horses, Messiah's Jewel. I was just giving him an 800-metre jump out, which we have fortnightly at uh, Warwick Farm. And a little bit casually, I had my toe turned out a little bit as we jumped out of the gates and my toe of my boot got caught on the upright and twisted it Mm. um, quite abruptly to the outside. As we went forward, my ankle got twisted backwards and um, I rode through the jump out and obviously painful. Mm. I've been down that road before, broken ankles and sprained ankles and I was more than hopeful that it was a sprained ankle. And uh, I think that day I had a runner at um, Chief Kidder was running in town that night mm. on a Friday night, and I was really struggling, hobbling around on my foot. And um, I knew then that normally I can walk on a sprained ankle, um, but I could hardly walk on this one. So um, I finished up seeing a doctor on the Monday. Mm. He X-rayed it and I had a broken leg. So <laughs> oh God! Had a play. I was operational uh, uh, under the knife. I think two days later. Yeah. And um doctor did a marvellous job, the specialist. He inserted a plate just above my ankle. And um, I was meant to wear a moon boot for about six to eight weeks mm. and another six to eight weeks recovery. But my first visit back to the doctor, within a month of the operation, I actually walked in on him. Mm. And um, he looked at me and said, oh, should you have a boot on? And I, I just went, well, I thought I should have, but I've been walking around on this for three and a half weeks. I said, this has been the best. Uh, recovery I've ever had from a fracture, so mm. um, he was quite amazed by it, and mm. he wouldn't let me back at work for another week and a half because my first medical certificate had me off for at least six weeks. So yeah. um, I was quite chuffed that I could be back inside six weeks riding work again, and it hasn't given me a problem since. Well, good, good news. Now, Jess Taylor is a very talented rider who spent most of her apprenticeship with you. And you'd have to say she's been your main stable jockey, hasn't she, in the last couple of years, two or three years? Yeah, I love Jess. She's, um, she came to me, uh, well, actually, I spotted her riding a winner one day at uh, Musclebrook, mm. and she was claiming three in the country. And I just thought, I like the look of the way this girl rode, and I was looking for an apprentice at the time, and Jess was apprenticed to Albert Stapleford. Mm. So she'd spent her first two years there, um, and I... Gave her a ride a few days later at Canterbury on a 101 chance and I was quite impressed by her and I offered her the chance to, if she wants to ever come to the city. Um, she's a bit of a Gosford country girl. She was a bit reluctant at first, but a partner was sort of keen for her to, to take a step forward and um, would obviously going to help her career for her career if she could get away from uh, Gosford at the time. Uh, it was a great grounding for her there at Gosford, but she was ready to sort of mm. let fly. And she came down to me for the last couple of years of her apprenticeship, and she's, she's mm. fantastic. Great little young rider. Worked hard, fortunately very light. Yeah. And um, didn't have to work hard in my stables. I was a pretty easy boss for her, but um, <laughs> and that was all right. That suited her. Yeah. She just would go off and ride work for as many trainers as she could at Warwick Farm, and she's Established a few more contacts, and um, he's been going 
you know, great guns. Yeah. Ahead of its own. Rachel Murray has ridden winners for the stable too, and she tells me you've been her principal tutor for some years now. Yeah, I first years Rach when she was claiming three, and she won on my old horse. Um, it wasn't my old horse at the time, uh, Messiah's Jewel, right. at 100 to 1 at Canterbury one day. And um, I've used Rachel quite often, as often as I can when I when Jess is not available. Um, mm. well, I'm a pretty loyal sort of person, so. And um, I hopefully earmark the right type of riders for my horses, and both those girls can adapt. Mm. And uh, yeah, Rachel, I, I use when I can and help out with her riding uh, as much as I can. And another good rider, um, you know, as good as riders as most of the guys I feel. Um, they just don't get the accolades that you know mm. the guys do. That's all. Mm. She's a hard worker, Rachel Murray, drives an enormous number of miles to get to country race meetings, but turns up she's as reliable as they make them. Yeah, no, she, she's a really hard worker, good, reliable rider, and um, I got a dollar for every kilometre she she travelled through the year. Um, I wouldn't have to train, I know that. <laughs> no, that's right. She, the, she broke the century. Uh, in the 2016-17 season, she became the first female jockey to top the, the 100 wins in a season, uh, which still stands. She still holds the record. And in that particular season, she calculated she drove 120,000 kilometres in 12 months. Yeah, it's a lot of driving for a lot of winners, isn't it? Mm. And um, inconceivable to think you could ride over 100 winners in a season. I find that. You know, when I rode, I only rode two, maximum three days a week. Mm. But for these riders, um, your Greg Ryans and Robert Thompsons and, and Rachel Murray at the time, to mm. ride over two winners a week, it's just a fantastic accomplishment, you know. And sort mm. of, um, uh, She worked hard for it. She still works hard. She's got the good horses at the moment. Another of your apprentices, Laurie Ray, rode quite a few winners before weight beat her. She's now training... Uh, Mark, under the name of Laurie Parker. Yeah, great girl, Laurie. Um, came to me from the bush and um, didn't have a lot of knowledge about anything about riding. She just sort of uh, free-wheeled it and um, I was quite proud of the fact that she was sort of, Laurie improved remarkably the time I had her and uh, she finished up a very accomplished rider but weight was always her issue. Uh, it was a terrible problem for her. But she, she was a really good rider, you know, so aggressive and patient in the in the one breath. So, uh, but now she's made a fist of the, the training. She's a good trainer and uh, does a good job with the horses at work farm. A mare called Red Letter Days played a very significant role in your career. Now, in winning at Canterbury in August of 2007, she was your last Metropolitan winner as a jockey. And then a few months later, she became your very first winner as a trainer. A million to one. Yeah, it was quite quite unbelievable, the story with Johnny. Um, I'd won about four or five races on Red Letter Days when she was claimed by Ken Callaghan mm. down at Goulburn and had a good rapport with the owner, Cecile. Mm. And um, she quite liked me riding a horse, which I... Pretty much rode red letter days every start she had with Ken. Mm-hmm. And um, after I won on uh, red letter days at Canterbury, um, the uh, equine influenza, it hit. 
mm. um, Sydney, so there was no racing for the next quite a few months. Um, so in that period of time, I organised myself to begin training when I could, which was a few months later when the um, Sydney racing began again after the influenza virus mm-hmm. hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Red Letter Days had, had one or two starts, I think, from a spell under uh, Ken Callaghan and uh, had raced pretty ordinary with two other riders on her. Mm. Obviously, I was a trainer at this minute. And uh, then I got a phone call from the owner who said that uh, the horse went no good at Canberra last week. I was wondering if you could fit my horse in and you can train it because you used to win on her, so maybe you can train her to win again. Mm. And um, I took it with pleasure. And um, unbelievably, uh, within weeks, uh, I got my first winner, which happened to be Red Letter Days, mm. racing Queen Bianne. Mm. So it was uh, my last winner in the city, in the city as, a, as a jockey and my first winner as a trainer. Quite unique. Of all the new initiatives introduced in recent years by Racing New South Wales, none have been more widely acclaimed than the weekly Tab Highway races. Introduced four years ago, the Tab Highways have proven to be a tremendous stimulus for country racing stables as new owners constantly look for the right horses to bring to town. At first, trainers like Matt Dunn, Danny Williams and Terry Robinson dominated the highways, but nowadays the results prove that many and varied stables have learned to identify the kind of horse they need to travel down the highway. $75,000 in prize money and an assortment of race distances are making these races highly competitive and stimulating healthy betting trends. The Tab Highways are a big part of the new world of Sydney racing. A horse called McClintock was the best you've trained so far. He was unraced when you got him. He finished up winning six and ran 13 placings for more than half a million dollars. He won the Group 3 Bill Ritchie at Randwick in 2009, and then you slipped him to Melbourne for a little sneak go. He won a Group 3 at Caulfield, then he ran in another Group 3, I think on Derby Day, and went so tantalisingly close. What happened that day? Yeah, well, he went in Caulfield with Glenn Schofield on, on board of him, Mm-hmm. Uh, one by a couple of lengths, and then I backed him up two weeks later on Derby Day in Melbourne, and we got run down the very last stride at um, Flemington by Centennial Park. David mm-hmm. Payne's good horse, mm-hmm. and um, after the race, oh, I still stoked the horse still ran fantastic, but a bit disappointed we got nailed the last stride. And Glenn Schofield came in and said uh, we should have won the race, you know, because the the, uh, the truck with the TV camera on it was at that stage driving down the straight just inside the inside rail with the cameraman on the back mm. and um, peering back on the uh, runners as they came down the straight, mm. probably only 20 metres ahead of McClintock, obviously, on the roadway, whereas my horse was on the inside rail. Mm. And when said, uh, my old horse, McClintock, uh, he wouldn't take his eyes off this vehicle that was moving in front of him, and he said he just sort of pricked his ears the last 50 metres and not focusing on driving to the line. He just sort of floated the line the last 50 and uh, got nailed on the line. So mm. that was a bit of a bummer because uh, Ben mentioned it to the stewards, and I think from that day onwards they wouldn't allow those trucks to drive in front of the fields 
down the straight because it was a little bit of a uh, obstacle if they if they caught their horses' attention. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a bit of a new way to lose anyway. You lost him for a little while, didn't you? He went to Singapore, but he never won up there. No, Jerry Harvey who owns a horse. Um, his stable name the horse was Jerry. Um, well, Jerry Harvey decided to send him over to Singapore. He had a little bit of luck with another horse from Pat Webster. He took over to Singapore to race mm-hmm. under his own um, ownership. And uh, it had won over there, so I think they thought the same would happen with McClintock. And at the time, I did mention that I don't think this horse will be suited by Singapore style of training or working. Um, mm-hmm. I've ridden Singapore for years and I knew what this horse was going to come in, into and uh, I knew what his uh, problems were when I had him. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't handle heat days very well, um, stressed out quite easily, when uncomfortable in the wrong wrong people's hands. And unfortunately, um, he, he went to Singapore and uh, raced uh, terribly under a good trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, raced terribly for about four or five starts, ran last every time and... Mm-hmm. I got a phone call to say that the horse's career is over in Singapore, and um, unfortunately, in Singapore, when their careers are over, they um, what they call trainers court, they delete the horse. Mm. Uh, and uh, you, you were having none of that. No, no, I was quite distressed. The fact that the, the poor horse was sent over there to race where he had no chance, and now he's going to finish up. Um, Fed to the lions and tigers at the zoo at Singapore. So um, goodness me! So you uh, you dug into your own kick. Yeah, to, I to bring him home. To come home, and um, uh, Jerry had mentioned that well, if you want to bring him home, he's yours. Um, just letting you know that we're leaving him there. So oh. I brought him home. He finished up my horse, uh, so I had to find a home for him. Obviously, but um, quite expensive. Uh, uh, Effort just to bring him home, like mm. I lost out on the deal, obviously, because um, you know it cost me about twenty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars the expense to bring him back. But anyway, we looked mm. after him when he got back home. He was quite battle scarred from Singapore. He'd, you know, he, he'd had a crack on his skull and um, had a bad mark over his head where he'd obviously had issues. Mm. Um, he had skin off everywhere. He looked very poor in condition. Um, so. I, Get him up and started working on the track. Just to, you know, he, he loved that track work. Uh, just cantering around, and after about two months, he was looking fantastic. And I thought, well, the way he's going now, I might even take him to the trials and see how he goes. Mm. See if I could turn around that disgraceful form that he had. And the horse was working well and trialed well. And um, Laurie Ray at the time was my apprentice, and she trialled him. He trialled fantastic, so we took him to Melbourne. Yeah, first up, it was about a hundred to one, I think. Yeah, in a group uh, race, it was a group yeah, two or three? Yeah, right? group three or something. Yeah, hundred to one chance he was, and um, he actually led to the very last stride and got rolled on the line by a horse of David Van Dyke's, mm. and um, ironically, the prize money for second was about twenty five thousand. So we. Yeah. Broke square on the, uh, he, he repaid me mm. what I'd paid for him to come back home to save mm. him. So, um, what I wrote him to you enough money to pay for, uh, pay his debt to me. And, um, mm. we only raced him once or twice more and then we retired him and, um, gave him to a lovely home. He's had a great home ever since. 
Mm. And I'll bet Laurie Ray is still dining out on the fact that she was placed in a couple of group races at Flemington. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, well, oh, it was just a shame she got beat the last ride. Um, she was home and hosed and did everything right on the horse, but we just found wanting the last 50 metres. So, um, but still, it was quite ecstatic to get him back to form um, after spending a year hopelessly, hopelessly out of form and just looked like he was beaten mm. as a racehorse. So. You were training a grey mare, Mark, a few years ago by the name of Country Matters. She was by Viking Ruler, which had won a Group 1 for Clary Connors. Now, you won a 2,000-metre maiden with her at Kembla, followed by a 2,400-metre Class 2 at Kembla, and you're getting a bit excited by this. Then you took it to Randwick for a 2,600-metre Benchmark 70, and she bolted in. Yeah, she was a, a promising mare, um, a real promising staying mare. And um, the first few starts went fair, but then she was, I knew she'd come good over, over distance. And, um, yeah, those three wins in a row got me quite excited that I had quite a, a real good start on my hands. And yeah. after she went at Randwick, I, I threw in the deep end and ran her in, a, I think, a benchmark 80 or 85 on the Saturday at Rose Hill. And unfortunately, Jamie Innes, who, um, had ridden my horse three times for three wins. He was suspended that day, so Glenn Schofield got to ride her. Mm. Didn't quite know her that well and um, was was very unlucky when she ran third. Wasn't beaten more than a neck, I don't think, or a neck and a head. Mm. Um, so I turned her off a spell with the idea that I've got a really good stay on my hands here and I hadn't gotten mm. to the bottom of her, uh, but I just knew from riding her work she just, got a little bit better every time I worked her on the track. A mm. little bit further, she got a bit better and she just thrived on it and she went out for a spell and I thought, well, I can't wait to get her back and unbelievably she got hurt in the spelling paddock and um, mm. hurt a tendon and um, never got to race again. So, but, you know, I don't get excited about many horses but she was one horse so I was pretty much guaranteed that it was going to be a group horse over a distance. So, um, yeah, that was a bit of a disappointment. You won a couple of city races with a horse called Military Secret for Jerry Harvey, and you thought he could win a couple more too. But Jerry didn't think he could win a couple more and sold him to Perth. You've got yeah, to cop it on yeah. the chin, mate, haven't you? Yeah, it was a quite strange. Um, I used to watch his horses run around. He has about 40 or 60 trainers, and I'd watch his ordinary horses run around, and every time I got one that went all right, I seemed to get a phone call to say he's for sale. Anyway, he, he was up for sale, um, unbeknownst to me, and some um, people from Perth had purchased him, and they phoned and said, oh, we've bought the horse, and I was a little bit disappointed. I said, oh, well, I've got him in on Friday night. I said, what am I doing? This is on the Tuesday. I said, oh, I thought it was good, now we win. They said, oh, well, if we get the money across, we can, we'll can we'll take over the ownership before Friday, mm. which they got the money across, and they purchased him, and... Um, he came out one, so they got their money back, I think, first race. Yeah. I think it was about a $20,000 investment, mm. and uh, they got their money back straight away. So I kept him for another run or two, and then he went out for a spell and went, obviously went to Perth, and he finished up winning quite a few races in Perth for the new owners. So, um, mm. but yeah, it was a bit of a loss. It's a bit of a loss when you have a horse that you think average or a little bit better than average, and they start going all right, and then you, you lose them. But, um, yeah, that's, that's life, isn't it? Well, it's certainly racing. 
that's a good idea. Yeah. Got him as a yearling, um, had to re-break him. Um, it was very poorly broken in for wherever he'd come, and uh, I finished up winning uh, a couple of races with him, and he looked like being a promising horse and went out for a spell, and um, well, he was a promising horse. He, he won a Saturday race, his third win, mm. a benchmark 80, I think it was. Mm. So he was going to be quite a handy horse, you know, and uh, while he was out spilling, the owner decided to... Uh, he needed a big time trainer because he thought he had a big time horse. So we, uh, yeah, so I never saw him again after he went for a spell. Mm. He went to Joe Pride, and then I think the you owner know, transferred him again to Peter Snowden. and finished up winning a couple of good races, good sprint races. But um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you know, Joe was a bit distressed when he lost him. So mm. I thought, well, you know, how I felt when I lost him to you. So <laughs> he went up the ladder to Snowden. Yep. But um, but yeah, yeah, it's racing. Now, Mark, in the mid-1970s, your late dad, Alan, took you down to Oak Street at Rose Hill to talk to trainer Ray Guy about the possibility of taking you on as an apprentice jockey. Now, bearing in mind you were a city kid with absolutely no experience with horses and Ray just couldn't fit you in at that time. No, he he said that at the time. I didn't know anybody in racing and, and my father... He didn't know anyone in racing, but he knew enough. He had a bet all the time and followed the racing. He knew enough to ring up Des Hoisted from TUE at the time. Mm. And um, asked Des, uh, you know, I've got a kid here, uh, might want to be a jockey, so what do I do? And uh, Des Hoisted suggested seeing Ray Guy, Rosehill trainer, uh, always in the top four or five trainers in, in town every year. Mm. Go down and see uh, Ray and see if he'll, um, you've got to do an apprenticeship. Anyway, we met Ray and uh, I asked if I had any horse experience and could ride, and I had no experience at, at all and couldn't ride. And so, um, yeah, he couldn't fit me in, but uh, he, he had a fellow who was pre-training and breaking in horses for him mm. and was also a trainer, which was Frank Penfold. And Ray Guy suggested, well, you go to Frank Penfold and mm. learn learn to ride and learn a few things, and um, maybe back. one day we'll see you later. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I went to Frank. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Frank Penfold, Mark. He was an ex-bushy who had spent his life with horses and there was nothing he couldn't do with them. He could shoe them, he could tend to their teeth, he could give them a stomach tube, he could break them in, and how that man could ride. If I can borrow uh, from Banjo Patterson, mate, no finer horseman ever held the reins. No, he was a top rider himself. Well, he was a breaker. As you say, he... He did everything, and um, that was my first job mm. from school. So um, I just assumed every racehorse trainer was could do what Frank could do, but um, found out later no one could do what Frank could do. No, like Frank would even load up the truck and uh, drive for ten hours and go and get the feed on a silo and bring all the feed back. <laughs> he did everything. <laughs> yes, I remember. Yeah, remarkable man. You may not have been aware of it at the time, but how lucky was young Mark de Montfort? to learn all of those basics from a horseman of such enormous experience? Well, well, if you, you could plan a, a young kid who knows nothing about horses, where to go and how to learn about racehorses and handling racehorses and working with racehorses, um, 
strength involves was the ideal place. Not only was a break, he was a breaker winner, mm. um, trained his own racehorses. He also had a riding school. Yeah. We had about 15 ponies that would be hired out um, on an hourly basis on the weekend. Yeah. So I had ponies to deal with, which were obviously easy and quiet to learn on. Mm. Um, and then you had Frank teaching you how to ride. And then you had his young horses that you could ride, and he had the greatest pony called Smokey, mm. and a grey horse. And Frank would ride the grey horse when I would ride the babies. And Frank had put a hole on a yearling where if it wanted to buck, it couldn't buck. Yeah. He just sat on, I was just a passenger. Mm. And Frank would, would take the horses around off his pony and lead me around, basically, while I sat the saddle to educate them to go around the trucks. And then when they were well and truly quite enough. To let go, Frank would just let me go, and the yearlings would canter alongside um, the pony that Frank was on. Like you, you couldn't have got a better schooling. Like you couldn't have, I couldn't have planned it. No one could have planned it. No. I wish every kid uh, who wants to learn about riding could start off this way. No, um, but it's not possible. I understand that, and there's not mm. people like Frank Penfold around. No. Frank was no slouch as a racehorse trainer either. He he won a string of races with a very good stayer called Dane Son, and this was the horse to give Frank and his wife Shirley an almighty thrill one day at Flemington when he had his head right in the finish of the 1973 Melbourne Cup, ran third. Yeah, I'd only I'd been with Frank for two years at that stage mm. and had got to ride that horse Dane Son um, on track work, just slow work, mm. and uh, at the time we used to work them slow uh, before the old Westmead Hospital was built around the old Parramatta showground. I remember you coming past me while I was working paces there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> old Dane, son, and he was one of the few horses I could actually trot and canter around the track at Rose Hill when we would float into Rose Hill from Westmead mm-hmm. um, three mornings a week, and um, I didn't realise how good a horse he was. I only knew at the game I... Mm. I worked the ponies on the weekend and went to the track three days a week and um, rode these couple of quiet horses cantering around and mm. I didn't know anybody. No. But I remember I went on the small track at Rose Hill one morning on Dane Sun and um, this was only a month before we went to Melbourne. Yeah. And Frank told me just give him a canter around. Well, he was a bit fitter at the time and um, you know, he had a couple of races from his spell and was on his Melbourne Cup campaign. Mm. So he was feeling quite well. Well, I did five laps from memory on this track and I couldn't stop him. He just kept running round and around and I just <laughs> sat there. And I'll never forget Frank was less laughing. Every time I went past the gap, he was just laughing at me. <laughs> um, but nowadays, every trainer would panic if he saw his horse bolting around the track. But this yeah. old horse just took me around for a friendly bolt, five laps. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget when he pulled up. Obviously exhausted, but um, Frank just had the greatest laugh every time I went past him, lap after lap. And sooner or later, the horse pulled up. So when he went to Melbourne, we knew he was pretty fit. Yeah, oh, he was a very good horse. What about his full brother? Frank went very close to winning a Victoria Derby with his full brother, a horse called Pyramal. He was still in front, probably 80, 90 metres from home. Haymaker yeah. grabbed him in the last stride. He was a good horse, Pyramal, too. But they were full brothers, obviously, and um, mm. they lived in these cement boxes near the house of Frank's. Um, Frank had two newly built stables, uh, lovely stables where the two brothers lived, and down the back in the old wooden stalls were all the rest of them. But, um, 
but they were both good horses. I didn't realise how good of horses they were at the time until I went to Ray Guy's as an apprentice and started race riding and started learning how to do form that I realised how good um, Frank Penfold's two horses were, Daneson and Pernilla. They were, they were group horses but, um, from a small stable with ponies and breakers. Mm. Well, when the time came, Frank Penfold was happy for Mark de Montfort to transfer to the Ray Guy stables where he would get many more race riding opportunities and this time... Ray was happy to sign him up. We're going to close segment one at this point and devote all of segment two to Mark de Montfort's stellar riding career. Segment two is a click away for our listeners. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.